closure with Stephanie Holman. In and out of the courtroom, Stephanie seamlessly navigates the legal world of criminal defense, family law, and more. And now, your host, Stephanie Holman. There's a dark part of town where the girls get down and I can on air gallery. And today I wanted to talk to you about several different legal concepts that I think we hear a lot on TV, but not a lot of people know what they are. So I want to explain those things to you. And then I'm going to bring up a buzz topic, which I think everybody hears lots about. So the first thing that I want to talk to you about is an arraignment. I think most people have heard the word arraignment, even if you've only watched one episode of Law and Order SVU. But what an arraignment actually is, is the first time, if you're arrested and you're thrown in jail, typically you're going to have to wait overnight because not a lot of courts do night court. Not a lot of courts are going to have the judge there late. And so your arraignment is the first time they bring you from being in jail to being in front of the judge. And at the arraignment, that's the first time a judge is going to look at you. The judge is required to tell you what you've been charged with in an arraignment. So let's say you were pulled over for a DUI. You're going to be, you know, baking it off in the jail with everybody else. And then they'll bring, you know, 20, 30, however many people are there. And you go one by one in front of the judge. And the judge says, hi, you're Kevin, you know, you've been charged with the following things. That's, you that's me. I'm Kevin, just for anyone who's confused. That's yes, Kevin is the producer, <laughs> so not talking to an imaginary Kevin, the real Kevin. So let's say Kevin was shady and he got arrested for a DUI. They would bring you in God front forbid. of the judge, and the judge would look at you and say, this is your name, right? Yes. You've been charged with this. Do you understand the charges that have been brought against you? Yes. You have the right to an attorney. Yes. If you don't have the money for an attorney, one will be appointed for you. That's part of those Miranda rights that everybody hears, but the judge tells you again. And then you get a chance to talk to the prosecutor. And then the judge is going to tell you after talking to the prosecutor if the prosecutor is recommending you get bail. And what bail means, I think, what's your, what's your idea of what bail is? Uh, my idea of bail, and keep in mind my legal knowledge is relatively limited, but I would say that is a amount the judge discloses that you must pay in order to be released from custody. Yes, that's very, very close. Okay, good. Yes, yes, good job. Oh, thank you. I'm so glad you've not been arrested a lot. <laughs> Me too. So they tell you uh, after talking with the prosecutor, you have to enter a plea then with the judge and you can enter guilty, not guilty, or nolo contendere, which is fancy Latin for no contest. No contest, okay. And it means... I'm not going to say I did. I'm not going to say I didn't. I'm just going to leave it floating. And then based on whatever crime you committed, who you are, what your access to assets are, they will set a bail amount for you. Now, people, um, like one of the other people who, who works here, she was saying, you know, you hear a $10 million bond, and then you wonder where in the world do these people have $10 million. Yeah, I always wondered or kind of assumed that they made it that high because they don't necessarily want you to get out or, you know, depending on the severity of the crime. That's very true. So they'll set it if, if they think you're more dangerous and what you've done as far as a crime is more dangerous, then they typically have a higher amount set. And when they set that, you find a bail bond company. And what they do, it's kind of like a loan shark is the best way I've got to explain it in normal terms. And so Except they basically... they're not going to come break your legs if you don't pay them. <laughs> as long as you use the good ones, hopefully they're not going to come break your legs. But what it says is, as a company, we're going to put out 
basically like an insurance policy that's for $10 million. And we're going to ensure that this person who's been charged with this crime is going to come back for their next court date. If they don't, they owe the full $10 million amount. Right. And so what payment actually gets made is, is typically drastically less. Now you'll hear certain big cases um, with very famous people and their bond is set very high. Part of it is the severity of the crime again, partly is they can afford it. Now there's also a like, sort of like bond. Like the O.J. Simpson situation? Exactly <laughs> like the O.J. Simpson situation. <laughs> I was watching the testimony last week because now apparently he's, he's out on probation and it was very interesting for me to watch as an attorney because I remember when that happened when I was a child. Me too. And very, so very well. watching it and then they had his family come in and, and this happens in cases, not all cases, but they'll have the family come in and friends and give statements about what kind of person this is. And the part that made me laugh the most was where these children who were tiny humans, when it happened, came in to talk about what sort of person he was. And it really did make me laugh because I'm like, how would they know? That he's <laughs> they've never been out with him. Right. But in that situation, he's definitely one of the clients that you're going to see a higher bond. Now, there's something called a PRB, and that's a personal recognizance bond. And if you've never been in trouble before, and you don't have a rap sheet that reads like a concert tour list, they'll say, okay, look, we're not going to make you post anything. We just want your personal bond, your personal word that you're going to come back here for your next court date. And so at the arraignment, then you get told that amount. And if you have a bonds company, and typically they'll show up to the jails when they know arraignment time is, that way you have access. If not, when you get that phone call, you're calling the bond company to come bond you out so that you can be out and working. And if not, you get to sit and bake inside the tank with all of the other people who aren't getting out. And that was one of the assumptions, I don't know if this is true or not, I, if someone, say, bails you out, if you don't show up to your court date, they get none of that money back, correct? Ex well, they get none of the money back, but the person or the company that's bonded you out, now you owe them. It's like having something completely accelerated. So where before you paid $750 to get them to give you $8,000 worth of a bond, now you didn't show up. So that puts them out because now they're on the line for the court for that amount, that $8,000. And if you don't show up, now you owe the bond company $8,000. What, what if a buddy of yours bails you out and then you skip, you know, drive off to another state or something, just kind of leave them twisted in the wind? Would it? Yeah. <laughs> well, then I would say you had a really crappy friend. <laughs> and typically, if somebody else is going to bond you out, they're still paying that money to a bonds company. So they can put up the funds, but it's still the person who was arrested who's going to be responsible for those funds. Right. And then um, something else that I want to talk about briefly, because you'll hear it a lot, especially here in Dallas in the courthouse, and they talk about jail chain. And what jail chain is, is people who are arrested and are coming over from Lou Sterrett are actually in cuffs from the feet, and then there's their feet are cuffed together, so they shuffle in. But then there's a chain that goes from that to the waist, and they have a big belt, and then they have... Um, restraints from that that are on their hands. So they're basically walking like a penguin because of the way the chains are. Like, and like then we shackled. That's exactly right. Everyone is shackled. And so they come over and they come one by one. But for whoever was arrested the previous night, they come in and it's called jail chain because it's so many people and they're literally in chains. They're really. And so if you hear um, a lot of times family members who are back home will hear, well, they're on jail chain for today. Well, if you've never been arrested, 
or you've never had someone arrested, that means nothing. And, you know, I can only imagine how wild my imagination would run hearing jail chain had I never been an attorney and had I not seen it done. Yeah, I was picturing like Cool Hand Luke, guys on the side of the road, you know, well, labor worker, you know. Exactly. Um, what is it, brother, where art thou? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, but in reality, what jail chain means, and if you get told that your family member or the person that you care about who's currently in jail is on jail chain, it means that they're going to be brought over from the jail, they will be shackled, but that's when they'll be arraigned. And then if they're appointed an attorney, they can either be appointed the court attorney or there's a volunteer attorney wheel. And so you get appointed one of those defense attorneys. And so those are just some basic definitions that if you've never been arrested and you're having to deal with this, hopefully those are some things that will help you understand how to navigate what you're about to have to deal with, because those are all of the beginning steps. I just hope I never get arrested. Period. I hope you don't too, but that will make for one great show. Uh, I just hope I'm not in a jail chain. I, I will come get you from jail chain. <laughs> That's when your lawyer shows up. And, and then I'll bring I you here. I would be my first call. I will publicly shame you. It will be so much fun. <laughs> that would be a great show. It would. I think we have to cut to break now. And when we come back, I'll be talking about protective orders and why those are better to have than a temporary restraining order. And right now I want to talk to you about the difference between a protective order and a temporary restraining order. The difference between the two is the punishment. If you violate a temporary restraining order, yes, you can be jailed, but first you have to be taken to court for violating that order, and then the judge will decide whether you're fined or whether you're thrown in jail. A protective order is what you need to seek when your personal safety is in jeopardy. This is really important for people who are victims of domestic violence. Um, you need a protective order because the difference between the two, if I have a temporary restraining order, it says, yeah, you're not supposed to come near me. But if you come near me, then my only remedy is to file something called a motion to compel. And then I file a motion because you violated the restraining order and you get taken to court. If my bodily safety is threatened because this person has beaten me, having to wait to go to court puts me at even further risk than it did. So a temporary restraining order or a permanent restraining order isn't going to do you much good if what we're talking about is your physical safety. Now what a protective order is, you have two ways of getting it. You can go through a lawyer in the court and get a protective order where you go before a judge, you present your case, you say, this person has assaulted me, here's my hospital trip, here's the following things that happened, this is why I'm fearful that something is going to happen to me again, and then the judge makes a determination based on that evidence. And then typically protective orders are granted for two years. Now if said person that you've sought the protective order against violates that, and typically when I'm writing a protective order, I write it at 300 yards because I figure three football fields away from you is enough time for you to know that they're there and to make a call so that the police are aware that this person is now violating that protective order. And if they violate that protective order, because we're talking about 
a person's bodily safety or trying to stop you from getting hurt, you're automatically arrested. And this is why when you're in a situation involving domestic violence, you want that protective order. Now, the other way to get a protective order is if this person's assaulted you and you call the police out or you've been assaulted and then you go the next day or the next day and you report the assault, then the police can grant you a protective order. Now, typically, depending on the situation, they don't. I see, personally, I see it more often come where I have clients who come to me who've been victims of assault, been victims of abuse, and we go to court and present the protective order there. Now, something that I've noticed lately as a trend, and it's a little disturbing, is that they're making protective orders get harder and harder to get. It's still legally the same burden of proof where I have to show that there has been violence in the past. It doesn't matter whether you're married, you're dating, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, you live together, you don't live together. None of those things matter. I just have to prove that the assault happened and that there's a reason to believe. And it doesn't always require physical contact. If I can prove that I think this person is going to flip out and hurt me, then I will ask the court and say, here's the reason it's reasonable to think that this person is going to do this. If the person has a history of violence, like they've been arrested for domestic assault with somebody before, that's enough to go in and say, okay, based on whatever's going on in my personal relationship with this person, I have reason to believe that now I'm in jeopardy. My physical safety is in jeopardy and I want this. And what I've been seeing is that if it's not crazy severe, like the person has almost died, the courts that I've seen are granting them less and less. Right. And on a previous show, I talked about how the judge wouldn't give me a protective order and then the person who she told me wasn't violent enough to get a protective order against ended up getting himself shot dead in the middle of the street. And what's the cap for what's violent enough? Exactly. I'm, I'm wondering. <laughs> and, and, and based on that, you know, it's very difficult to not be extremely frustrated as an attorney or extremely sarcastic as an attorney when you're, hey, judge, what's up? Right. You know, remember <laughs> me and that person you said wasn't so violent? Well, guess what? You know, this is what happened to them. And in that situation, again, blessing that it was him and not the person that we were trying to protect in the first place. And so in these situations, any domestic, excuse me, any domestic assault, any time that you're fearful, just go report it. Because if you don't and there's this pattern, you might end up making it more difficult. And so I know a lot of people are like, well, we, we had a fight. We just want to keep it personal. We don't want to go put our dirty laundry in the streets. And I completely understand that. But from a legal perspective, we need to see that there's a pattern of it that way if you get to the point where you're fearful enough to get a protective order, then when we go before the judge, we're going to say, look, here we were pushed into a wall. Here this person tried to strangle me. Here I got knocked down the stairs. So that by the time, if you've so reported it enough. If it's, if it's documented. Exactly. And, and that's the reason that you want a police report. It's not because you're trying so much to get the other person in trouble as it is you need to be aware and protect yourself. And there are... Um, on another previous show, we talked about how there's been a downtick in people who are not here legally calling for protection. There are actually emergency programs. If you are not a legal citizen, we can help seek an emergency visa based on the domestic violence to help you stay here. No matter where you're from, we don't want you getting hurt. So there are ways that lawyers can help you get that emergency visa, even if you're not legal here. But then there are also um, rental relocation um, resources. So the state, if you file for that protective order, you have the police report, we can turn it into certain state agencies and they will help grant you moving costs. 
and if it requires more childcare, they'll help cover that. Now there are limits. I think it's 2,000 for the move and I think up to 1,800 for the other incidentals in that. But I just want people out there to know that you don't have to stay in that dangerous situation. And sometimes listening to TV is a disservice because you're not wanting a restraining order or a temporary restraining order. You're wanting a protective order. And if you get that protective order, if they violate it, you're more likely to be safe because it's an automatic arrest. And so um, I just think that with listening to TV and media a lot and not understanding the difference between those words, it might be hard to get. So if that's something that you've dealt with or that's something that you're dealing with, call an attorney or find a computer in the library and Google because you can fill out paperwork for a protective order and you could go before the judge yourself. You are able to represent yourself. So just make sure that you're getting yourself taken care of. And this is especially important to me because I have three cases I think that I'm dealing with right now where I've either got somebody who's definitely displayed some sort of terrible physical aggression or I've had people where it's building and you can kind of tell when somebody's amping up. You ever been around somebody and you like know they're about to fight? Yeah, 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 yeah. You and can feel so, the climate changing. Yes, and, and the repeated irritation and the time in between whatever's happened in their irritation, it gets shorter and shorter and then they're sending threatening messages, which is also illegal. It is a crime. You, you can't threaten people. You can't, it's called cyber stalking. You and if you're going to threaten someone, I mean, why would you do it, leave a voicemail and a text where they can easily just, you know, you know it's very incriminating. Um, when I sit there and think about it, and I'm glad you said that because I think that most of the time that's exactly how normal people feel. But I do think that um, people who are having that pattern of abuse or people who are having those issues, not exactly reasoning on the same level as the rest of us. And that is what the difference is. They don't even stop to think that they've threatened that person right. in writing. And I've seen in person, in court, where you get them up there. You know, did you say that you were going to you know, run her over if she came outside? Yes. I said, I'm going to run her over if I came outside. And did you put that in writing? Yeah, is this your writing? And you get them to identify, like, yes, I wrote this. Or do you recognize this text? Yeah, that looks like what I texted her. So you did, in fact, say you were going to run her. Yeah. And it's always a surprise to me because You're whatever. You're expecting them to. Well, I would expect you to lie. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to be honest. People lie. My clients lie to me. That's always unpleasant when you lie to your own attorney. I promise we're going to find out anyway. Please don't do that. But human beings don't want to be at fault. So they tell the story in the light that looks the most shiny on them. Yeah. And paint the house a little bit. Yeah. Okay. First off, as attorneys, we know when you're full of it and we can tell when you're deleting things so that you look nicer. Nobody fights in a vacuum. However, those people, you, we would expect you to get, no, that's not my text. I don't know who sent that. She's, she used one of those generators and she's just trying to get me in trouble. Or, you know, he's just, well, you know, he's making it look like I'm crazy and I'm trying to get into his house at night that, that I'm stalking him. But that's some other girl. I would expect those lies. But the problem is that the people who are exhibiting those qualities really aren't in the same reality with the rest of us the majority of time. And so it's not quite such a, surprised that they're not worried about lying to us. Yeah, that, that frankness shocks me, honestly. Yes. And um, I just, there are resources. So please, if the only thing you do is go Google for a protective order, 
it will pull up um, legal documents. There's Texas Legal Help, and you can print them off and fill them out. Just make sure you're getting yourself protected. And on that note about getting yourself protected, I'm now going to bring up a hot topic that is extremely interesting to me, but this whole bathroom debate mm. over um, <laughs> we, trans people, um, people who have had you know gender reassignment surgery and what bathroom they're using and where do we have them and, and who gets to use the bathrooms in schools and who gets to use the bathrooms in restaurants. And my first two questions that I think every time I hear about it is number one, why are so many people using public restrooms? Like, I don't know about you, but I try to avoid public restrooms I, I prefer because- I the home field advantage whenever <laughs> I can. Yes, but I'm like, who, who are all these people who really just are now going out just so that they can use whichever bathroom they want? Because you know what, more power to you. I really don't care. But the idea that it's such a big deal, it just makes me laugh because I'm like, I see a public bathroom and I'm like, germs, 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 germs. Most people don't wash their hands and I want to avoid them. And then my other question is, how is this something that we would be able to legitimately enforce? Um, you know, how, how do you, how do you know? I mean, even, if, okay, in theory, that's, that's a great question. Even if I had, you know, the T-Rex <clears throat> bathroom monitor standing there when you came in, what am I going to do? Ask you to drop your pants or lift your skirt? Prove it. Because exactly <laughs> prove it. Um, first off, we've now had, you know, invasion of privacy bordering on sexual assault. And then my thing is, if you're really transgender, you've had reassignment surgery, how in the world would I tell? I mean, it's not something that everybody gets trained on. So I'm just wondering, even if they passed everything they wanted to pass, or even if it all failed, how in the world is this something that anybody could enforce? I, I, I don't think you can, really. And it just baffles me. And, and the reason that this topic is so interesting to me is not so much that I care who's in the bathroom, because honestly, like I said, I try to avoid public restrooms. But in the case, I'm in there for like, what, two minutes in yeah. public? I, I, yeah, I, I'm not really worried about- I try about, to make it as brisk as possible. <laughs> yes, I'm not worried about who's in there with me. But this gets into the more important topic, and I think that every, every political buzz topic, um, abortion, gender rights, uh, who's in the military, all of these things border on you know, personal preferences. And I think that a lot of people get confused because it's not in the Constitution. There's no Constitution, there's no constitutional right to be able to use whatever bathroom you have. But the problem with this is, I want you to, and I'm gonna ask you this, and he's had no prep on this, so I'm, I'm grilling him now. Oh, man. What is something that you absolutely do not want the government to monitor you on? Something that you don't think they have any business giving feedback on? Um, I don't know. That, that's a tough one. This is a tough one to pull something that doesn't sound dumb. Mine is shopping. Like, it's something simple. I'm not even going as, as big as bathroom rights. But do I, you, I'm going to say any uh, alcohol consumption, something like that. Right. How often if I want to go to a bar, it's no problem. It's somebody else's problem. You know, I don't want the government saying... You can, you know, it's kind of like when they were trying to regulate uh, fast food and that kind of stuff. Yes. That, okay. That, that's one of those. Any, any consumption, I would say. It's okay. So any consumption. And the reason I'm going to ask you, why is it that you don't want them to regulate that for you? Uh, because that's my God-given right, you know, as, as a if human. If I want to eat three things of giant freaking fries, dip them in a milkshake, right. and chase it down with a Jack and Coke, 
that's my personal business. If you want to shave those years off your life, that's up to you. Exactly. Hey, what you want clogged arteries? Be, be my <laughs> guest. And that is where all of these cases arise. Now, there is no constitutional right to privacy, but through the different amendments to the Constitution, it creates this thing, and it's basically like the shadows of privacy. So with this bathroom debate, okay, I, I am not knocking anybody's moral, religious, personal beliefs. You can want or desire or believe in anything. You could worship mermaids. I really don't have a problem with it. It's not my place to judge. But also, I have to ask, on whatever side of this debate that you fall on, do you believe that the government should be regulating where you get to pee? I just don't see that being their business. And it's very interesting to me. And then the next question for those people who um, may be on the side saying, no, we need these laws. People who are not biologically that gender should not be in that bathroom. And I will say, okay, so let's say your side wins. Fine. It's a new law. But if we've given the government that power, where does our power stop? Because now the government gets to regulate where I go to the bathroom. Well, I, it could be easy to be a lawmaker who gets together with a lot of other lawmakers and has an opinion on what should or should not be legal. And well, I've already regulated where you can go to the bathroom. So based on the way that the court held and based on our law right here, well, now we can regulate whether or not you're eating French fries because it's in the best interest of everybody. We don't want you gagging or choking or having a heart attack in front of everybody. And if I can regulate where you go to the bathroom, you need to start thinking about how that lets the government have rights to access things that, in my personal opinion, are none of their business. You were saying consumption. Mine, like I said, is, is just shopping. It's not that I care and it's not that I'm trying to hide anything. But I also really don't want a lot of people who don't know me going, oh, well, on this date, Stephanie spent six hours in Sephora and dropped this much money on makeup. So do you consider that advice? Um, you know, M mine? Yeah. Uh, yes. I mean, maybe, Sephora is maybe, like maybe my mothership. Maybe vice is what I don't want anybody telling me. You know, Every, we all have our own vices and I don't want anybody telling me that's a problem or how to live my life. Exactly. I mean, how long you sleep, where you sleep. I can consider it advice. The government can't consider it advice. Well, this is one of the problems that came up when they started, um, especially when they, they started this war on terror. And I, without getting into any of the deep-rooted pockets of that topic, one of the things they started looking at was wanting to get people's library search history. So this is back before the web was as big and as intricate and we have as many apps and there was not as much social media then. Right. Okay, if I want to read every terrible book in the restricted section, why does the government need to know what I'm reading? And I feel like this is the exact same sort of thing. Well, yes, that can lead to clues about how you think and how you feel, but that doesn't mean that you've done anything. Right. It doesn't mean you have anything to hide. Exactly. But I also, if I'm checking out every version of, pick an awful book in your head. I'm not going to give anybody any ideas. But why is that their business? And so I find this to be the same, along the same line as that bathroom bill. So I just want to say for everybody out there listening as we wrap up, I want you to really give a thought about it, and your opinion is great, but just start thinking about how much you want other people to be able to regulate things like the bathroom. It's just not something that I feel like other people should be able to dictate for me. 
Thank you so much for tuning in today. This is Stephanie Holen with Total Disclosure on On Air Dallas.